0: welcome to the community church podcast this is week three of empowered our series on spiritual gifts this week pastor mike will be teaching from ephesians 4
1: verses 11 through 16. if you'd like to take notes there's a link for that in the show notes
0: also we had some audio issues this week so if things sound off please bear with us well thanks for joining us and without further ado here's pastor mike a number of years ago there was a movie uh many of you may not have heard of it but it's a movie called mr holland's opus uh, it was about this man Glenn Howland, who had these dreams of becoming a great composer, but because it was hard to get started in the music industry and to you know uh, to have the time to write his great symphony, he decided to what he thought was going to be a short time take a job uh, teaching local at the local school high school students uh, music, and uh, his goal was then to use his spare time to write his symphony. But as time went on, he found that the teaching job with high schoolers was far more involved than, or far more involved than he had imagined, and not only that, but then the demands of parenting and of of, of marriage, kind of never gave him the time to write the, the symphony that he had planned. Over the years, he continued to teach, and but then after 30 years, the school board decided that. Um, they needed cut budget, and they didn't think music was that important, so they cut the whole music program from the curriculum. And he argued against it and lost the argument. And so here he seemed to, seemed to have failed in everything. He lost everything. He never wrote his great symphony. He, even the music program that he had given 30 years to now was being to cut because it was seen as not being valuable. And in the middle of that, as he struggled with it, um, and he's, last, you know, last day he's packing up, he's walking out, And and here's something going on in the auditorium, and he walks in, and to his surprise, a whole bunch of his present and past students have gathered together to do a final thank you to him. And in that thank you, one of his earliest students, who has now become the governor, stands up to, to share the thoughts, really, of the whole group. Listen to what she says.
1: Mr. Holland had a profound influence on my life, on a lot of lives, I know. And yet I get the feeling that he considers a great part of his own life misspent. Rumor had it he was always working on this symphony of his and this was going to make him famous, rich, probably both. But Mr. Holland isn't rich and he isn't famous, at least not outside of our little town. So it might be easy for him to think himself a failure. And he would be wrong, because I think he's achieved a success far beyond riches and fame. Look around you. There is not a life in this room that you have not touched. And each one of us is a better person because of you. We are your symphony, Mr. Holland. We are the melodies and the notes of your opus. And we are the music of your life.
0: The music of the movie makes a great point in a, in a, in a, in a dramatic, fictional way. You know, this idea that in our mind we somehow think that to accomplish the great things, to do something great in life, we have to do something that, you know, that, is, that is big, something that is... Uh, that is noticeable. We have to write a symphony or we have to hold some public position or we have to be some respected teacher or leader. Somehow we think that, but then we look at that and say, few of us really have the gifts to do that. But we miss the fact that there's opportunity for, in a sense, greatness that is all around us that we can all do. The opportunity to, in a sense, make a significant impact by impacting the lives around us. Or we may lack the ability to do that high-profile job, you know, to do something that, that is noticed by everyone. But what we need to realize, all of us have the ability to build relationships, to invest our lives into the lives of others, to be able to find someone who has a need, and to be able to love them, and to encourage them, and to help them. And in a sense, by doing so, to make a, a, a radical difference, a huge difference in people's lives. And if we continue to do that over time, what happens is suddenly we realize that there's this room of people that, that say, no, your life is counted. Your life is, is counted as is great in its impact. Now, if that's true in general, so that Hollywood could understand that idea and make a movie about it, it's all the more true for those of us who are followers of Christ. Why? Because we not only have that opportunity of making that impact, but we have the opportunity of doing so with the gospel. That's the the one message that truly makes a transforming impact, something that changes for eternity. And not only that, but we've seen in, in the book of Ephesians, it's been teaching that we each have the gift of the Holy Spirit that is in us. And in that gift of the Holy Spirit, he gives us spiritual gifts, grace gifts, through which we're empowered to literally serve our community in a way that is literally supernatural. But the challenge is, are we willing to take our eyes off of the big thing and to define greatness by the big things that we would do and to be able to look at the faithful everyday things that are right before us, to be faithful there and to, and to serve in the small ways, recognizing that's what God often sees as being great. Now, even as we do that, I need to step back, in a sense, to kind of put in context what we're going to look at this morning. And we've been looking in the last couple weeks about the whole idea of of God's grace gifts and spiritual gifts. We've been looking at the first half of Ephesians 4, and in that, we've been seeing that, that, you know, the Bible teaches that all of us who have a relationship with Jesus Christ as part of that relationship are given the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit that literally comes and dwells within us. Look at verse 4 and 5 of of, uh, chapter 4. It says, there's, just, there's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. And the whole idea is that if we have this one Lord, one faith, one baptism, we're part of this one body that is the church and we all have this one spirit, that that's something that is part of our whole reality. But then it continues in verse seven, it's not only that the Holy Spirit is living within us, but he also gives us a grace gift. You know, we talked even last week, the word charismatic, we often hear it literally is grace working, grace gift. He gives us this grace gift that, uh, that you know, that, he, that the Holy Spirit empowers us to do part of the ministry of Jesus. But grace was given to every, each, each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. See, each one of us, each one of us has this. If you're here and you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have this kind of grace gift, you have God's spirit working in you, wanting to work through you. It's not because you deserve it. It's not because you're good enough or you're talented enough. Why? Because it's a gift of grace, unmerited favor. God chooses to use the most unlikely and the most undeserving people. And then he says, okay, I'm gonna do it not because of who you are, but because of who I am. Now, even as we look at all of this and, and and talk about, okay, this is true, that we're all giving you know these spiritual gifts that. I think Paul anticipated the objection that many of us would have. And, uh, you know, we would say, okay, well, I understand, Paul, that you're talking about that, that you're given a spiritual gift. Well, you're an apostle. That's a really important one. And, and then you have people like, you know, the pastor, and that's an important one. That's, that's a big gift. And I, even if I have one, it's just a small thing. It's, it doesn't really matter. You know, it, it, last week we looked at the picture in verse 8 where it, he uses the illustration of a parade. And, and it's like this parade where... Where Jesus is the victorious king, and he's throwing gifts out to his people, and we feel like, man, I was in the back row of the parade. Not much got that far. Not much got to me. Now, one of the reasons that I think that we feel this way is that we confuse visibility with importance. So we think that the visible gifts, the visible roles are more important. But look what Paul says about that, specifically talking about pastors and, and the relationship between pastors and church members, the pastor being a more visible role. If you have your Bibles open, look with me at verse 11. It says, and he gave the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the shepherds and teachers. Now, shepherds there, it's the same word that's translated in many other places as pastors. And so most people believe that it's, it's literally, we could say, and he gave the pastors and teachers. And why did he give these roles in church leaders? What does it say? I'm sorry, I did this last time as well. Please go back. It's, I, I accidentally forwarded that. So if, um, so if you could go back, thank you. Uh, why did he do it? To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ until we all obtain the unity of faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now here's what Paul is saying. Yes, he's called me to be an apostle, He's called others to be prophets and, and pastors and teachers. And, but is it so that we could do the main work of ministry? So that we could do the ministry of the church? No. He's clear that the difference between these roles and, and everyone else, in a sense, isn't that these are more important. It isn't a different degree, but it's a gift that's different only in type. And specifically, that the role of pastor, teacher, of evangelist, of prophet, you know, these roles are specifically support personnel. So that there's a sense that my role as a pastor is to equip others so that you would be on the front line of ministry and I'm behind you supporting you. It's a different kind of ministry, not more important, but just different type. And what Paul is saying here is really clear. God didn't give the church people with these visible gifts so that they could do the important work of ministry but that we could equip the others to do the work of ministry. See, the ultimate calling of the pastor isn't to do ministry, but to ultimately to train others to do ministry. God has given church leaders, what does he say? To equip the saints, that's you, the members of community church, for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Now, I think a lot of churches have this backward. In a sense, we often look at it and we say, okay, well, what do we have? Well, we have the pastor and, well, he, that's his job to do the ministry of the church. And if we grow, we've got to hire more for them to do the ministry. And, um, and we even see this in the language we sometimes use. I don't know if you've heard this, but I've, I have oftentimes, you know, you hear somebody that would say, well, I'm deciding, to, I want to be a pastor. So I'm going to, I want to go into the ministry. And so I'm going to go to seminary and I'm going to train for ministry. So like, okay, well, I want to be used of God, but I can't really do ministry until I go to seminary and train for it and become a pastor. And then, and then when you graduate, you know, you'll have, he goes to a church and we refer to them as the minister of the church. And that somewhat reminds me of a point. Every once in a while, you'll have people that will come into our church that are new and they're like, well, what do you like to be called? What title? And, and, and I'd say generally, most people call me Pastor Mike. I, I like that because I think it's biblically what God has called me to be, the pastor, However, I also know that we have people that come from all these different backgrounds, and, and we're you know very diverse church. And one of the things that I even know by my experience is you have different denominations refer to the pastor differently. And so we'll have people that will be come from these different places, and they'll call me the name that they're used to. So we'll have people that will come from Catholic churches, and, and it's Father Mike. And, uh, and that's okay. I, I understand that. I used to be Catholic myself, even. And, and others, you know, Reverend Ribka. And, and you get the Methodist, and, and, and they're going to, oh, you're just our preacher. Or you get the Presbyterians, and they like the titles. You know, well, it's Dr. Ribka. We've got to give you the titles. And, and the thing is that it's, I'm okay with that, because I understand the diversity, and I'll answer to whatever you call me, except one thing. I, there's one thing you can't call me. You can't call me your minister. You know, if you if you say, "Well, you're our minister," I'll, I might stop you there. In fact, if if we're out somewhere and you introduce me as my you're, you're, he's our minister, I'm going to turn around and say, "Yes, and you're my ministee," and uh, you know, because that's the implied. You know, if I'm the minister, you're the ministee. I'm the one doing; you're the one receiving. And and it's not a biblical idea. In fact, I, you know, I ran across even this uh, this email that. Has this idea that, you know, you've got to, if you want to do stuff, you've got to be ordained. And, and this is an email that's, it's, it's a real place. It's, re- they still have ads. They're still doing this. It's about offering this wonderful deal of online um, uh, ordination. Now, let me just read some of this. He says, Minister Charles Simpson has the power to make you a legally ordained minister within 48 hours. You can be ordained now as a minister. You'll be authorized to perform the rites and ceremonies of the church, weddings, Marry your sister, or brother, or best friend. Don't settle for being the best man or bridesmaid. Funerals, a very hard time for you and your family. Don't settle for a minister you don't know. Baptisms, you can say welcome to the world. I'm your minister and your uncle. What a special way to welcome the child of God. Visit correctional institutions. Since you'll be a certified minister, you can visit others in need. Preach the word of God to those who have strayed from the flock. Want to start your own church? After your legal ordination, you may start your own congregation. Well, at this point, you must be wondering how much this certificate costs, right? Well, let's talk about how much the program is worth. Considering the value of being a certified minister, I'd say the program is easily worth hundreds of dollars. Wouldn't you agree? However, it won't cost that much, not even close. My goal is to make this life-changing program affordable to the average folk, can benefit from the power of it. Since I know how much you want to help others, you're going to receive the minister of certification for under $100, not even $50. You're going to receive the entire life-changing course for $29.95. Aren't you excited? I mean, it's like that's a sales job. And you listen to this and you say, man, that's, that's crazy. And, and, and then you go to the website some of their famous ministers include Conan and Brian, Stephen Colbert. It's like, oh, I'm not sure that's encouraging me. And I mentioned this, and then after the first service, someone said, I got that. <laughs> I did that. My sister wanted me to do the wedding, and I got that same one. So I'm not trying to sell it, not trying. Now, the key thing is you don't need an email ordination or any kind of ordination to be used of God, to be a minister of the church. You don't need to be a pastor. Why? Because Paul is saying, no, he gave those spiritual leaders—the apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers—to equip the saints for work of ministry for the building up of the body of Christ. He's teaching that the role of pastor is not to do the primary ministry of the church. That's not why God has called the the, you know pastors and, and leaders to the church not so that we could do the primary work, not that we could be the ministers. No, he's really clear that God has given the church pastors. Why? Because the pastor's job is to equip the people of the church to do its primary ministry. It's not to be the minister of the church, but to teach people, everyone, to do the ministry, to equip you, to help you know how to succeed. Now, you know, practically when you think about what this means is that means each one of us, each one of you are called to be a minister. You're a minister of this church. Now, it may not be your paid profession. It may not be the job that you do. In fact, what you've got to realize is where God has placed you, even in whatever job that you have, you're to be his representative, his missionary, in a sense, in that place. You're uniquely equipped to reach people that I can't reach and you have been called and gifted and you have ability to do ministry that I can't do. In fact, if we go back to Ephesians 4.1, what does it say? Each one of us has been given a calling. Verse 4.7, it talks about each one of us has been given a gift of grace for ministry that Jesus personally apportioned to each one of us. And think about what that means. He, Jesus knew you would be he knew where you'd be living he knew your background he knew you would be working he knew the needs of our community he knew your strengths you know he knew even the scars that you had and said okay now I'm going to give you unique abilities a unique call a unique portion of grace that allows you to most effectively be able to minister in this church in this community And not only that, but he's put you together with other people who have different abilities, different strengths, so that together you can come together and we can be Christ to the city, to this community. See, actually, this is an idea that Paul's been teaching throughout Ephesians. Go back to chapter 2. Look what he says, 2.10. For we are his workmanship. Literally, he says, we are his poem. We are his masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in him. So it's not only that we're his masterpiece, but when we look at these good works that he's prepared, now we go to verse chapter 4, we're empowered for these. So he's not only prepared us for get, get these good works, but he's given us his supernatural power to say, now I want you to go do it because you have the Holy Spirit, that you can represent Jesus in this world in a way that goes beyond your natural ability, that goes beyond who you are by yourself. See, you are the church. You are the ministers. You, these ministries are your ministries. And God has given you people like me, pastors and teachers and leaders, primarily not to do the work but to help prepare you. And I believe that one of the things that makes this a great church and a healthy church is that so many of you understand this. So many of you are serving and doing so many things I love the fact that there are so many things that happen throughout the week, so many Bible studies and groups and support groups and, you know, and music and all, and all these things that are happening, children's ministry and youth and all these things that are happening that I have no part of, that many of times our staff doesn't have any part of. And you look at it and say, well, I'm not, I'm not even there. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not even always aware of what's happening. And somebody might be thinking, well, the elder's got to get you to work harder. <laughs> no, no, first, first of all, no. Why would I get involved when you're doing more effectively than I can do? No, my job is to support you on that. And beyond that, I'm working plenty hard. I'm putting more more than my 50 hours. And, but the thing is, is that I'm doing it in areas that God has called me to focus, to use my strengths and my abilities, which are different than yours. And, and a lot of my strengths and, and, and abilities are called to be things that are ultimately helping support you to be more effective. Let's even illustrate this, some of how it works out in, in, let's say, evangelism. Clearly, the call to share our faith with other people is a huge part of what God has called the church to do. You know, to illustrate that, I think, just take the Great Commission. Right before Jesus ascended into heaven, Jesus gave these last words to the church about this is our purpose, this is what he wants us to do. Matthew 28, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is our commission. This is what we're called to do. Now, this priority of evangelism is evident even in our church mission statement. So as a church, what are we called to do? This is our mission, to know Christ, his life-changing power, and to make him known. To know Christ, intimate, not only about him, but to know him and have a relationship. And as we know him, we're changed by him because we experience his power at work within us. But it's not just for our own benefit. It's then to make him known, to share with others. Now, some of you might be thinking, yeah, that's why God has given the church people with gifts of evangelism. So you would have people that would go out and share their faith, and, and, um, and the rest of us are encouraging them to do that. I don't have that gift. Let's go back to Ephesians. Look at Ephesians 4:11 and 12. What does it say? He gave the apostles and the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers. Why did he give those, the evangelists? To equip the saints for work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Why did he give the church people with gifts of evangelism? So they can do it for the rest of us? So that they could go out and share their faith? no. Even the gift of evangelism is primarily about equipping others, equipping each one of us so that each one of us can then do the work of evangelism. And in practice, this is when the church is most effective. Not when we have a few great evangelists, but when each one of us is doing that part. Now, let me even illustrate this. I'm going to do an interactive part here, and and I'll show you exactly how this plays out. This is true. Think about the person who was most influential in leading you to saving faith. You have them in mind? How many of you most influential person lead you to saving faith with as an evangelist like a Billy Graham? Can nobody. How many would say that it was somebody whose primary gift was evangelism? You could just tell they were an evangelist. I don't see any hands here. How about, how many, the primary person was someone who was on church staff that was paid professional that was full-time ministry? How many of you would say that? Okay, I see a few hands. How many would say the person that was most influential in leading you to Christ was just a normal, ordinary person that lived out their faith? You see, that's about all of us. Now, why is that? Because the work of the ministry doesn't happen when you have a few people doing it. It's when each one of us shares our faith, and you have a few people that have a heart for evangelism and that train and help equip us so that all of us can be more effective. See, that's what God has called us to do. Now, let's talk about what that looks like in a vision of the church. I pray that God would lead hundreds. What if I say, God pray, I pray God leads 400 people to Christ through this ministry in the next two years. And wouldn't that be awesome? Is that realistic? Man, if it's about me and my preaching or our programs, that's not gonna happen. It, it seems like huge, it'd be great, but it's, I don't know if it's realistic. Okay, let's ask you another question. Do you believe that God could use you to lead one person to saving faith in the next two years? that if you if you prayed for regularly unbelieving friends and you prayed for opportunity to share your faith, do you think that God could possibly use you to lead one person to saving faith? Well, what about this challenge 400 people to, through our church? What happens if 400 people that are part of our church said, I'm willing to believe that, I'm willing to let God use me, I'm willing to pray on a regular basis that God would use me to share my faith, to pray for unbelieving friends so that in the next two years, I get to be a part of leading one person to saving faith in Christ. Now, 400 people do that. Suddenly, we have hundreds of people coming to faith through this church. Suddenly, we have revival. Now, how does revival happen? Not because you have a few really gifted people, but because you have a whole bunch of faithful people and a few evangelists that are calling the rest of us out and and encouraging each other to do it. Let me give you another example. Let's talk about ministering to each other's needs and, and, and praying for each other. You know, a lot of times in many churches, if somebody has a spiritual and emotional need, you know, well, we've got to call the pastor. He's got to go and visit. He's got to go and be there for them because that's what pastors do. Now, again, that's part of what I do. But even at a church our size, if I spent my full time doing that, trying to be there for everybody at all time, I couldn't do it. There's just too many people. And, and that means that if I did that full time, I wouldn't be preparing to preach. I wouldn't be leading our staff. I wouldn't be discipling. I wouldn't be doing all the other ministries that God is calling me to do. So let's go back again. What does God say in verses 11 and 12? God gave pastors and teachers not to do all the work, but to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. Now, as a pastor, I treasure the opportunity of being with people there in the hard times. I love doing that, but I can't do it all. And I realize that even in the midst of this, a bigger, more important part of my role is not necessarily doing, but it's equipping and encouraging and helping other people do it. How does it play out? Well, part of that is when I teach, and I'm teaching and preaching, and I'm helping you understand truth and biblical truth so that you become more capable of sharing and encouraging others. Some of that happens even in counseling and ministry. I get calls all the time from people who are on the front lines, supporting people, loving people, teaching, doing whatever, and they'll call me up and they say, boy, this person has this problem. I don't know how to. They ask me a question. I don't know how to respond. And I love that. Because I said, that's great, my job is support personnel. You're on the front lines, you have a problem, you're coming back and you're saying, how do I answer this question, what do I do? And, I'll, and many times I'll say, well, let's help you think it through, I'll give you some scripture, and you say, okay, great, now I can go back and engage, I know how to shepherd them. Sometimes it's like, here's a bigger problem, okay, how do I come alongside of you? Maybe I'll meet with them, or we'll set up other resources that, that help you. And that's wonderful because you're on the front lines of ministry and I'm doing the support personnel and way more ministry is happening than we're we're all about me. And some of it is even kind of leading and casting vision. Let me give you an example of that. We've been talking amongst our staff and the elders for some time about how do we pray for each other more? How do we encourage each other? How How do we go beyond just talking about, you know, praying for each other? A lot of times in our community groups, you know, where it's prayer requests and we'll write them down and we'll just kind of do a brief prayer. How do we move beyond that and actually pray for each other and have the courage to say, how can I pray for you? Well, you know, first of all, say, someone that shares a need, you know, it's a, a common thing to say, I'll pray for you this week. I'd encourage you just, if you have time, to stop and say, hey, can I pray for you now? But beyond that, as we've thought about this amongst the elders and staff, one of the things that we realize is there's power. God's called us to pray for each other. There's power in that. There's power in being prayed for. It's hard. It's humbling. And we realize that God has called us to do that. And so we started experimenting something a couple months ago, and we want to actually make it a part of our service now. At the end of the services, we're going to usually end with a closing song, and we're going to invite people to say, hey, if you want to have somebody pray with you, if you want to pray, come come down here. And, and we're going to invite at, this, at the closing prayer for people to come down. If you want to come down on the right side and just pray by yourself, if you want somebody to pray with you, come down on the left side. People come alongside of you and pray with you. And it's powerful. It's a wonderful thing, but that may mean that you, you see somebody and you say, boy, somebody shared something. Hey, after the service, I'm going to go tap them on. And say, hey, come down with me. I'll pray with you. Or it might be, you, you know, we had this even this, this morning in the first service. Somebody tapped somebody else and said, I want to go pray. Will you come down with me? That's awesome. It's beautiful. It's beautiful that what we get to see in the church, and God has called us to do that, and what we want to do is we want to encourage you how to do that. Now, even as we say, okay, God's. Called us to be each part and we want to minister to each other. And but how important is this? Oh, look what he says about this the importance of this bond between our serving and our growing. Again, why did God give the leaders to the church, including pastors and teachers? Verse 12, to equip the saints for work of ministry. And this is important because it's for the building up of the body of Christ until we all obtain the unity of the faith, faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood to the measure of the full stature, the fullness of Christ. How do we grow in maturity? Not by finding pastors and teachers who will come in and feed us and, and equip us. That's important, again, my role is not to downplay that, but ultimately it's, we grow as each one of us steps into ministry and does our part. That's how we grow the most. And he uses the example of the human body. That's what he talks about, the body of Christ. When we think of somebody becoming healthy, what's important. Now, part of that is what we eat, right? we got to eat healthy. And if we're not eating healthy, we're not going to be healthy. And so, part of that is, is what we take in, what we're being taught. But I can eat a healthy diet, and if I'm not doing anything, I'm not going to be healthy. The key part of becoming healthy is actually getting out and being active, using my muscles, doing things that are going to, you know, to stretch me and develop me, and you know, actually doing cardiovascular and working things so that I work out a sweat, actually, you know, build up additional muscles. And and he's saying in the same way that we realize it's important what we eat, it's important in a sense what we're being fed, but ultimately for us to be healthy, we got to get active, we got to go move, we got to each one do our part. He continues in verse 14, that we may no longer be children. Literally, it says infants there, young children, infants, tossed to and fro by the waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by the craftiness and deceitful schemes. And what he's implying here is that until we get involved, we can be stuck at the spiritual infant stage. Why? Think about it. Because like infants, we are dependent upon others to feed us and take care of us. So, if you think, well, the pastor, he's the minister, and, and I'm going to come and be minister too, and I'm just receiving. What is an infant? An infant is one who is dependent and who takes from further growth without giving anything back. Now, what happens as we mature? As we mature, then we start to have our kids actually do stuff around the house, and they actually not only are become less dependent, but they actually contribute. And ultimately, we are able to contribute back to the work of the family. That's what he's saying. So what we need to see here is it's teaching two things about this link. First of all, it's teaching about our involvement in ministry is essential to the church's growth. So do we want a healthy church? Well, we all need to be involved. What does it say? It's for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. How do we build up the body of Christ? Does each one do a part? Each one of us has something unique. Let me again even just illustrate this in a very practical way. Okay, so we may have had someone who visited here this morning. Let's say if you have a first-time, this might describe you. If you had a first-time visitor and you walk in, what's important whether that person is ministered to, whether that person is connected, whether that person comes back? I'll tell you, if, if you have someone walk in and they're greeted by a friendly greeter at the door, someone sees that they have children, helps them find where the kids are at, and not only that, but then they've got a good kids program. The kids feel comfortable. You know, they're greeted. You could tell that the kids are excited about being there. They come back. They come to the coffee bar. They get some coffee. Someone's talking to them, being well, warm and welcoming to them. They come in. They see everything's working. They've got the bulletin. They've got the technical. They've got the music, and they're doing a great job leading the music. Now, even if I get up and just lay an egg with the sermon, they're probably coming back. Because of the fact of the matter is saying, man, this is a great church. I don't know about the pastor, but man, but I like the church. And on the other hand, is that if they aren't greeted and they don't feel good about the children's ministry and nobody's friendly to them and there's a mess what's going on with all the technical side and things like that, they're never going to hear my sermon. They're already so distracted. They're worried about what's happening with their kids in the nursery. Now what's more important in a sense? You see that it's not downplaying the role that I have as a pastor. I know that my role is important. I've given my life towards it. But you see that it's not about visible that makes it important it's that every one of us is important, and not until we each do as a church, how do we grow? I could be doing a great job, and if I'm doing it by myself, we're not growing. But if each one of us are doing our part, if each one of us is serving where God has has called us to, the fact is the church is gonna take off. Like evangelism, all those things. But it's not only even growing the church, it's our own growth, our own personal growth. It's, it's, It's equally important, serving is equally important and essential to our own spiritual growth and health. Look at what he says. Look at verse 13 and 14. We're all called to the work of the ministry so that we will all obtain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning and the craftiness of deceitful schemes. And his idea is here, how do we grow to maturity? How do we get behind childhood when we're all doing our part? You see, it's not just about studying and learning, and it's not just about philosophy, because the Christianity isn't a philosophy. It's, it's, no, it's a relationship with Christ. It's a lifestyle. It's not just information. It's information that we learn and that we bring into our lives and then we let it uh, work in us and through us so that it comes out through our hands and our feet. It comes out in the way that we love each other and encourage each other. We're called not only to study the life of Jesus, but we're called to be Jesus, to be the body of Christ, so that each one of us is doing a part of his ministry and together we're representing Jesus to the world. And not only that, but as he says, it says, we'll no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves of the sea and by every wind of doctrine. Now, here's why it is. We need to be involved with each other. You know why? Because we're all gonna go through hard times that we're tempted to fall away. We're all going to face things that could deceive us or that could take us away. And if we're isolated, what happens? We're going to become vulnerable to every wind, to the waves of the sea. We're going to go back and forth. If we're tied in with other people, if we've got people that are going to minister to us in our place of need, even as we minister others at their point of need, what happens? That holds us steady, even even in the waves and the winds of life that goes around us. And we all need that accountability. See, now, it builds into that even what he continues in verse 15, talking about that we need to relate to each other in truth and love. Um, you know, we need to not be isolated, but instead we need to minister and do so in the connectedness of, of a body, of a family. Look at what he says in verse 15. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. Now, there's something really unique in the wording here. It's, you, just, you can't translate it in English. And he can't because Paul literally makes up a word in verse 15. When it says, speaking the truth in love, what he, that's not literally the word he uses. He takes the word truth and he makes it a verb. He makes up a word, literally. So if we interpret it literally, he's saying, rather, truthing each other in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Now, that's beautiful what he's saying. He's literally calling us not only to speak the truth, he's calling us to literally truth, to be truthing each other in love. Now, it goes beyond speaking, because it means that we relate to each other, not only in love, but also in truth, that there's a vulnerability in here. Now, I understand why the translators had to translate it this way, because they have to use actual English words. But there's something that can be missed. You see, because when we say speaking the truth in love, that's part of it. Part of it is we need to minister to each other and speak the truth in love in such a way that it's truth, but it's always couched in in love and grace. We need to be like Jesus who is full of grace and truth. We need to minister to each other in that way. But what's missed in this is that truthing each other in love isn't just about the way we minister to others. It's also about the way that we let others minister to us. It means that we need to be a church where it's not just, okay, I'm mature and I can help the immature or I'm strong and I can help the weak. No, we are all strong in some areas and weak in other areas. We all go through periods of time that we're gonna be blown and tossed by the winds and that we need other people to hold us up. There is none of us that can sit there, including me as your pastor, that say, I've got it, I'm the leader, I'm gonna hold everybody on my back. I can't do that. And we need to be a place where we admit that. See, in many churches, that there's a pressure to kind of look good and to try to you know perform and to say, I can't let anybody see my weakness, I can't let anybody see my struggle because then they'll think I'm not immature, that I'm not mature. And Paul's idea is to say, you want to know what it means that maturity looks like? It's that we're real that we're truthing each other in love, that we're being honest with each other, that we're relating each other with our struggles and with our doubts, and we're saying, here's where I'm weak, here's my strength, but here's my weakness, and I need you to come alongside and cover me in my weakness. And all of us are going to be dealing with that. You know, even when we talk about the prayer time, it isn't like, okay, well, the needy and the people that are hurting, you can come up, and, and the strong, you come up. No, all of us are going to have times that we're experiencing these kind of crisis. All of us can be up here literally every week. Because real life change only happens when we relate to each other at the level of truth. And we need to become a community where that's reality. Where we minister each other and we support each other. And we're the body where we we bring our strength to help with someone else, but we let someone else come alongside and help us in our weakness. And how do we grow to become the church, the people, even our own faith? It's... We grow ultimately when each one of us is doing our part, each one of us working properly. Look at it again, verse 15. Rather, speaking the truth in love, truthing each other in love, we are to grow up in Him, in, in, uh, in every way, into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint, with each it is, it is equipped, when each part is working properly, it makes the whole body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So my friends, that's what God has called us to be, a place where each one is doing our part, each one of us could recognize, oh, I might not have the visible gift, you know, but I don't need to write the symphony. I, I don't need to, you know, to be the person that, you know, that, that defines greatness by the way that the world does, but I have an opportunity, that we have opportunities in this, you know, people around us to minister to people, to encourage each other. We have things in our background and say, I can let God redeem that. I can be faithful where I'm at. And as each one of us does our part, you see, I can do a part you can't do. I need to be faithful in mine. You can do parts that I can't. And if you're not being faithful, something is lost in this body of Christ. We're not representing Christ fully. And so my part is to say, how can I encourage you to do that? That's what I'm doing today. That's what we're doing even next Sunday night. to help. How do we help you know your spiritual gifts? How do I help you know where where God wants to use you? And as each one of us does our part, not out of our strength, not because we have it all together, but we come and bring our weakness and we say, God, by your grace, use me. And and even as I am ministering to others, I'm going to truth each other in love, I'm going to let others minister to me. As each one of us does that, what happens? We grow up to become the church, the community, the body of Christ that God has called us to be. We grow stronger in our own faith. We become the believers that God has called us to be, the men and women. And we represent Christ to the world in a way that is powerful, as God does amazingly more than all we can ever think or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us.
1: And that is it for this week's message. If you'd like to get in touch or find a way to serve in our community, send us a text to 330 644 6121. You can learn more about our events and community groups online at ccpl.life/slash connect. There you can send in a prayer request. We would love to be praying for you. Have a blessed Lord's Day, and we'll see you next week.